So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be taking a look at some of the news from around the league, and then we're going to be digging in deep to the two championship games that we just saw. Very, very good stuff. Then we're going to have a little look at uh, some questions from you, the listeners. We're going to have a brief look at the run-up to the Super Bowl, which is now two weeks away. And yeah, there'll be much more about that later on, so let's get on with the show. So hey guys, we've got uh, Connor here, I've got Harry. Hello. And we've also got Ronan. Hi. Yeah, so guys, how's yourselves? I think I ate too much. <laughs> <laughs> took uh, took the Facebook dinner there. I think I might have taken too much of the uh, sweet potato and chicken lasagna, because I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling here, lads. I'm actually struggling. Like. Fair enough, fair enough. What about yourself, Fitz, any crack? No, keeping it quiet enough. Uh, working away, you know yourself. Ah, yeah, similar, similar enough with myself now. So we're having a bit of fun around the, around the office. My manager just got back from her holidays. She was over in Australia for like six weeks. So uh, I, was, I was laughing, she took her kid over, he's like one, one and a half, so I uh, said she'd be completely fine now, but uh, fortunately the kid doesn't understand staying up for a whole day to try and get over jet lag, so she's just <laughs> stuck with this kid that keeps waking up at the weirdest times, <laughs> so she's a bit tired of late, but no, it's good fun. Um, also, Michael, who uh, works with me, he's a Panthers fan, so that's been fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mostly discussing uh, how plausible it is for someone to play in a game having broken their arm two weeks previously. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get on to that later on. I suppose, yeah, we'll fire into some bits of news. So uh, this time around, we've got some actual news because uh, other things are happening in the NFL now rather than just people terrified about moving state. The first thing we're going to look at is a very positive news story. Actually, most of these are relatively good uh, news stories today, which is a nice change. Buffalo have made an interesting decision. They've decided to hire Catherine Smith as the NFL's first full-time female coach, full-time paid uh, coach, given that uh, Arizona had a intern coach uh, over the off-season. So Catherine is now quality control coach for the special teams. This is not the first time Buffalo have done this type of thing. Buffalo were also the first team to have a female scout back in 1986, and they also have a female owner at the moment. So by all accounts that I've read, this is a very good hire. She has a degree in sports management. She's got pro scouting experience, uh, like overall good feedback what do we make of this guys yeah it's positive i mean i think it's inevitable as sports evolves that we're going to see more of this thing happening and it's good somebody's going to be the first one and it's great that buffalo have you know uh, taken that step obviously as you mentioned arizona doing it in the in the off season as well um it is it is something i think we've seen the nba do it before generally speaking aside from the usual sort of online commenter troglodytes it's been the reaction has been positive which is again a good sign and i think a sign that sort of people are moving in the right direction towards understanding this. We've seen, obviously, female kickers try out before as well for the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, there's actually... It's actually interesting because there's, there's no rule in the NFL against women doing anything, by the way, which is actually an interesting thing. It's not actually a men-only men only sport, yeah. which, you know, and I, you know that's, that's a completely different kettle of fish, ultimately. But it's good to see these barriers sort of being broken down over time. And I think it's good to see the reaction getting more positive. And ultimately, as with any coaching hire, it's going to be the same thing as how do the players take it. And honestly, I don't think the players are going to make an issue out of this. We saw... In again, similar thing happening in the NBA. It was an issue for some fans, but for the players, it just wasn't an issue. So that's, you know, I think it's going to go well. Yeah, we also saw tweets from uh, members of the Buffalo Bill players uh, tweeting to say congratulations and stuff, including Richie Incognito, who is one that I would have thought would have been a potential <laughs> problem element in the locker room with a. So somebody probably gave Richie his phone and was like, now. now do something good, Richard. <laughs> Recover your persona. What about yourself, Fitz? What do you make of this? Well, it's a better hire than Rob Ryan, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, poor Rob oh, Ryan. Like a cheap shot. Yeah, no, like, like we're getting to that stage where, like, it's kind of interesting. Like, she's, like, obviously a first coach when I read that. And there's kind of an interesting race going on there for, like, will we see female candidates moving quicker up the coaching tree as time goes on? Or are we going to start seeing the possibility of female players being involved? Obviously, the first weak point probably would be special teams, kicker, punter, uh, long snapper. It's kind of an interesting race going on there, but the the general trend seems to be positive, even if it isn't quite as quick as we'd like. Like we have female, as you said, we've had female people in all those positions, female referees, well, assistant referees. So yeah, like it's a really positive move, and well done Rex Ryan for continuing to you know innovate in its own particular way. Actually, on NFL dot com, the lead into that article was uh, described her as getting her, quote, foot in the door. Ah, uh, yes, because of, <laughs> of Rex Ryan, yeah. of course. <laughs> I must say, it's, 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 it's an interesting comment, I read another article about this, and it's just like, yes, this is great, it's obviously positive for Kansas City, but also, bear in mind, the Buffalo Bill, it's the Buffalo Jills that were leading that court case, so they've got one step forward, two steps back at the same time of they are, you know, having a first female paid coach, but then they're also like just not paying cheerleaders and not trying to count them as employees and well, losing well. that case in the in the in the courts at the moment. Now on to Wisconsin, I suppose. Uh, Mike McCarthy's not a happy bunny. Uh, not a happy bunny with Ted Thompson, the GM, and his handling of free agency. He's come out and said, look. The way they do it is not correct. They need to change around. They need to start looking at bringing in players. Um, like what? What? What do we make of this? Like they haven't been historically active really at all in free agency. They bring in some people. They tend to be camp bodies rather than, rather than keepers. Like the three I spotted that were relevant were Reggie White. Uh, Charles Woodson and Julius Peppers like most of the other ones are either re-signings of their own players or bringing in players that they've previously let go to come back to the organisation I'll go to you on this Fitz do you think that this lack of free agency is what's costing them or or is, it, is this just basically Mike McCarthy lashing out because he's a bit pissed off the problem is is that if you don't go into free agency and something goes wrong during the season then that just doesn't leave you with the flexibility to keep like keep plugging away there's some frustration over the lack of movement in the offseason, but I think it's when things change, like obviously thinking of Jordy Nelson this year, when injuries show up as they inevitably do, when you have a GM who's very reluctant to bring in someone outside of the kind of Green Bay gene pool, then that necessarily means that your effective squad or your kind of phantom squad is like incredibly smaller than it should be. Like pretty much every team now has effect, has their practice squad, but also has a, like a roster of, five to ten players that they can call up in an emergency you know like the Patriots had to pull in Stephen Jackson for example Portland Finnegan is going to the Super Bowl with Carolina and obviously he wasn't with that I think there's a sense there that you know a good principle which is building through the draft might be being pushed a little bit too far and when you can see some of the people who've emerged from the Green Bay tree such as John Snyder in Seattle you kind of see that they're more willing to have a little bit of flexibility on this issue and have a good success with that while Ted Thompson seems to kind of be very much stuck in his build, because like it's a really good rule, and most teams would be uh, would be very jealous of, of that system. But I think it's that in-season flexibility that is particularly frustrating. for McCarthy would probably consider a pretty thin squad at the end of this year. No, of course, of course. How about yourself, Harry? What do you make of it? Yeah, like I think that's pretty much spot on. Obviously, Green Bay are trying to do a thing. You know, they are what they are. This is Green Bay. It's its own thing, as he puts it, the gene pool and this idea of building through the draft. But yeah, there is a lack of flexibility, and we've seen a lack of depth really hurt Green Bay uh, this season in particular. 
where there's there is no plan B. And even if you look at the guys they were sort of bringing in in the backup roles, it was guys like say Jared Aberderis who've been sort of knocking around for quite some time uh, in practice squad and kind of things like that. And there was no sort of concerted effort to bring in to bring in the big names beyond the three you've mentioned. And even then, guy like uh, Julius Peppers, it's not the most ambitious free agent signing <laughs> in the world. He's a guy who is still very good, but is very much on the downslope yeah, of his career. More, and to be honest, there's also there's that added element of two fingers to a divisional rival with that one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it is something that I can, I can understand the coach's frustration, and there is that uh, sort of idea of like, you know, you want to... Coaches always seem to want to have some more involvement in player selection, and be that through the draft or through free agency. And perhaps you know, there's just frustration on McCarthy's behalf that he's not really involved in that at all. But I can certainly understand why, when somebody else is providing the tools and you find yourself without the tools, you would be calling for a change in the way things go. Because ultimately, when a team underperforms, yet GMs do get blamed, but the first person who inevitably gets blamed is going to be the head coach because they're the guy out there making those decisions day to day on the pitch. And they're the guys who are ultimately responsible for how the players perform. Clearly McCarthy just feels he doesn't have the tools that he needs to get the performance. Now, maybe this is an element of him trying to save his own hide. So it'll be interesting to see how the Packers' uh, slightly convolutedly constructed ownership reacts to this. Yeah, of course. I I don't know. I suppose what what he's trying to say is that this is going to be the difference between where they are and them getting over the edge. This has been a very successful team. Although... This is the thing I was looking at when I was looking into this. Is that kind of thing? If they have what we would probably arguably say is probably the best, if not one of the best, active quarterbacks at the moment, Aaron Rodgers, right? And they've got that, and they've only got one Super Bowl out of it. Now they've got eight trips to the postseason, but they've gone out in all but one of those, and quite often it's very early because they're they're a good team, but they're not a great team a lot of years. Now, obviously, yes, this year there was a particular focus on like they lost their main receiver they were a bit messy and stuff and maybe some work could have done but it's not even the scenario where I think Dwayne Bowe is going to put them over the edge in that kind of position if they go for earth him. is Dwayne Bowe going to put over the edge <laughs> at this stage like. I don't know uh, maybe the next team that signs him <laughs> well maybe his coach <laughs> but uh, geez, that's a, it's a beautiful way to earn 9 million isn't it <laughs> but uh, it'll be interesting to see if it causes any change I don't really see it doing that maybe they'll free it up a little bit more but I think yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it is a good system they put in place. Maybe a little bit more flexibility when problems like this happen uh, would be the best way for them moving forward. Uh, the next area, I suppose, another cold place, uh, we're going to Philadelphia. Eagles are now chip-free, but they are also making some moves. This is an interesting one. I'll be interested to see what you make of this. Zach Ertz has been signed, uh, the tight end, to a $42.5 million deal over five years with $20 million guaranteed. What do you make of this... Uh, Harry? Yeah, I can see the logic behind it to an extent. I think it's an overvaluation of Ertz based on his talent. He's a, he's a good he's a good tight end. Um, we've seen him come on, particularly in his blocking over the last few years, and he's, he's, he's always been a decent receiver. I don't know if he's worth this kind of money. Part of it might be to do with just the paucity of tight end talent available. Like, there's not really much on the market at the moment where there are some very good guys. They're kind of locked up into their teams at this point. Okay, so this is something they need. There's clearly a plan for however they are going to move forward that Ertz is going to play an important role in that offense. Yeah, well, you would they've, think they've, so. They've brought Pedersen in now, so it's probably going to be a West Coasty style. If he him working with Andy Reid is rubbed off, it's going to be a lot of short crossing routes and throwing it three yards behind the first down marker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, clock management issues. But... Uh, 
It'll be interesting to see how this one works out because it is a lot of money to pay for a guy who's proved himself to be a solid but unspectacular kind of tight end. So I feel like if they're changing the offensive style, this is something that they're going to be hanging their hat on quite a bit if they're paying this guy this much. Ertz is going to have to perform next season because this is something that could hurt Pedersen, hurt the GM if this doesn't pan out because that is a lot of money they're tying up in there and 20 million guaranteed is, is not a small investment and yeah. 8 million on average a year is not a small investment for a tight end. No, not at all, not at all. I suppose, Ronan, when we look at this, there is the element it's a five-year deal, the cap is expected to go up, it's raised significantly over the last couple of years, so maybe this will work out to being a little bit cheaper. But it's interesting to see, this is the first of this kind of new group of tight ends, like the first deal, and this is probably going to set a marker down. I'm not sure if this is going to be the bar or whether people are going to look at it and still say this was a bit wrong on market valuation. But we've got, you know, Kelsey, Eifert, Reed. we've got... All the tight ends down in down in Indianapolis all coming up due for deals in the next year to, to two years. So, like, how do you think this is going to affect that and how much do you think this is going to be true to market value for those guys? Yeah, like, you would have to imagine that a few of those are likely to get... This is probably going to be, I would say, the floor for Reed and possibly for Eifert as well, considering the seasons that they've had. The thing is, Earth's had a pretty good run of games down the stretch, and he definitely fits in with the uh, Pedersen, the, like his, his idea of like a West Coast offense and stuff like that. And especially if they keep Sam Bradford, who would probably suit that system better. There's kind of an element that this is not only an increasing cap, but a very good fit with system. But you would assume with those players, the way that they've played, that this is going to be uh, the floor for those two who really outperformed this year. I, I don't think we'll see this for the Colts tight ends, especially considering the seasons the Colts had, mm. but it'll probably kind of set the market to a certain extent. I imagine that this will probably be somewhere in the upper third of those, like probably maybe the third biggest contract, or but probably fairly close to what the other two will be getting, uh, Reed and Eifert. Fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, so it'll be interesting enough to see how that one works out for them. It is quite a long-term investment in a guy especially given change so the, the management must be happy with what they see in him uh, the final one again just another nice little story uh, you might remember a couple of weeks back nearly about two months ago now Stedman Bailey I actually found this really weird looking online just to check it it said LA Rams <laughs> so I forgot LA but uh, do you remember well he got shot in the head twice which is not a nice story thankfully that's not where the story ends um Six weeks on since his surgery and whatnot, he's training again. Not just not just training again, but training heavy, lifting big weights, going full of whack at it. This is impressive. It's obviously a nice story to see. But also, I think this is the earliest that we've had a front runner for comeback player of the year. Like, it's a nice story. It is. It's great for him. Uh, obviously, a very difficult scenario for himself and his family. Um, I got one of his relatives also severely injured in the in the uh, in the shooting. But um, it's great to see him come back. Comeback player, look, I mean, I, I don't want to put any uh, anything sour onto what is a great story. Stephen Bailey is Stephen Bailey. Like, he's not a world-beating wide receiver. He's going to have to come back from that and have a career season. Because that's how these awards go, you know? They, yeah, go, to the, they think... go to the big names. They go to the big guys. Like, yeah. they're, they're, It's so... incredible he's come back from this. But comeback player of the year, there's so much that is put onto the... Basically having... Not only overcoming adversity, but you have to overcome adversity and have a superb season to impress the guys who vote I for think, that. I think the last year or so it has. But like prior to that, it was just the guy with the best strike. Like, bear in mind, like, we, they gave this to, to Michael Vick coming back onto an alright season. Just because he was shite the season beforehand, <laughs> like there, there have been scenarios like when when this has been given to players just because they were crap the year beforehand and they were quite good the year afterwards. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm being a bit facetious saying comeback player of the year, but like this dude got shot in the head twice and then comes back and like just plays a snap of football the next year. That's a pretty impressive oh, yeah, deal. Absolutely. Do you do you have anything to add to that, Ronan? 
I think Harry kind of said, like he he was kind of a decent receiver on a fairly average receiving core for the Rams anyway. And he was a core special teamer as well, as far as I remember. Yeah, he won he won a um, special teamer of the month, I think, at one point for a yeah. like, return touchdown. So anyone who's useful on special teams always has a chance to latch onto a roster, and it's not like that the, the, the competition in in the LA Rams and Devin Back would be that intense. Obviously, he's had issues with uh, with substance uh, with the substance protocol and stuff like that. But fair play to him coming back and wanting to play football again. So you know, all the best, and hopefully. It works out for him. Just, just, just so we're clear that though, when you say substance protocol, it's okay. He's allowed to win prizes because he's a cheater. It's PEDs. He's not a drug head. <laughs> <laughs> we're okay with someone trying to get the edge as long as it's not with coke, allegedly. Oh, I think we uh, possibly have a quarterback who the Cleveland Browns might be drafting if nothing has changed. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, go on and have a look at the games from last week. So I suppose we'll start with uh, a game that we thought was going to be uh, the best game of the year. And then uh, it turned out that one side definitely wanted it to be and one side wasn't sure where they were. The Carolina Panthers came into this game ready to play and Arizona just crumbled under the sheer force of Cam Newton's beautiful smile. Carson Palmer had a terrible game. He had four interceptions and two lost fumbles. Balanced out with one touchdown. (laughs) A running game that never got going. They only got 60 yards on the ground. Cam had an excellent game. 335 yards, two touchdowns and an interception passing. 47 yards rushing and two more touchdowns on the ground. Like they were firing on all cylinders. This defense looked amazing. Yeah, guys, this was this was a this is an impressive performance. But given how much we thought that this was going to be a slightly more balanced game, like what caused the imbalance here? When you're looking at this game, Harry, like where do you see the mistakes being made? For Arizona, like the mistakes were everywhere. Like it, it was one of the, it was really strange. And even after that, you know, that first half, it was like, oh, Arizona have been a bit rubbish in the first half, like they always have been. Okay, they're in a pretty big hole, but you know, they'll do what they do. They'll come out and they'll make a fight of it in the second half. We'll have a game. And this could tighten up, and it just never happened. The O line was overwhelmed. Palmer never looked comfortable, and not just because of that, but like for the second week in a row, him making throws, reading the field, he just didn't look comfortable. He was forcing the ball a lot once they got behind. And I think what we saw here was what could have very easily have happened if Green Bay's defenders were able to hold on to the ball last week, which is just a bunch of turnovers. Um, the wide receivers couldn't get separation, which was really, really surprising. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald was covered out of the game by a linebacker for large parts of it while he was operating yeah. out of the slot, which was... He was held to what, like three catches in this game? Yeah, I think like he had a couple of drops as well. Yeah, it was, he did, yeah. I he only had one drop this all, all season. Yeah, I think he had two drops. Two in this game. Yeah. Just bad timing. Like, ironic. I think they had a big graphic about how few drops he'd had in his career. Yeah, and then they happened. <laughs> it's one of the, one of the worst. He was just, I just saw the press conference of him afterwards. He was absolutely distraught. Yeah, like uh, the run game never got going, as you said, but it was still probably the most productive part of Arizona's offense, which was weird. Like, and defensively, they just didn't live up to their billing. Like, there were missed tackles all over the place. And I don't know if it was just the occasion that got to them or just Carolina, apart from, like, Carolina played incredibly well. There was an element of once Carolina just started dominating, Arizona just crumbled and got into their own heads and were just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thing, trying too hard in a lot of ways, particularly Palmer. Yeah, like I remember there was that one, I think it was coming in towards the halfway point where uh, where they got the ball back, they had the chance to score and he threw the interception into the end zone. And like that was the thing where they had time, he didn't have to force it in there, but he just kind of went, look, I have to try and do this and just kind of 
Just, just overcommitted to it. Straight off the back of the uh, Patrick Peterson interception. Yeah, well, I think this is a, this is a right. section where they went like turnover, 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 yeah. turnover, and like any point this could have gone to it being a much closer game. But that was essentially a fourteen-two, if you want to look at it, over into the start of the second half, twenty-one point swing there from them not scoring to allowing Carolina to then score twice. Like, yeah, well, like I think the one thing that's been ignored and kind of swept under the rug is that Arizona haven't been good for about a month. They got blown out by the Seahawks in their final regular season game. Oh, look, the Seahawks fan talking about the Seahawks. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it did happen, so there. How about that Chiefs defense? (laughs) (laughs) Not in the the NFC, Connor. They're not in the NFC. And then, obviously, the Green Bay game, they were, you know, pretty, it was pretty average. Like, the offense was, like, pretty average with the exception of Larry Fitz. And then in this game, they just kind of got blown out. Like, to be honest, like, like, Carson Palmer, earlier on this season, he was getting a lot of pressure under him, but he was able to make these uh, pretty, like, superhuman almost throws under increasing pressure. I'm thinking of, like, the St. Louis game yeah. uh, they won, or even the Seahawks game and earlier on the season that they won. He was able to do that, but Bruce Arians, like, denies and says, not about the fucking fingers or whatever like that. But there's definitely something that's been going on for the last, like, month and a half of the season where he has looked... Like, he doesn't quite have that feed that's necessary to make the quick decisions which were keeping him... Well, yeah, this is this is something I was going to ask you guys, actually. Was this, like, nerves or was this, like, physical limitations for him? Because, like, bear in mind, th- these two guys were essentially who we were discussing the MVP race being between three, four weeks ago. And then you see the two of them on the field and there's a stark difference between them. I know last week was his first playoff win ever like was it him getting into his own head and seeing ghosts or was it like you're saying there fits that you think there's a limitation to his throwing motion or to his hand or something i think it's a little bit of both i think like they kind of feed into each other when you feel a little bit physically limited and you start having these games where like that starts coming into play you're gonna start seeing those ghosts like when when you're a statuesque type passer like him it's so important to get good protection and when you start feeling that protection failing which is what we saw, like, especially against the Packers, where they consistently decided to go with uh, blitzes and high-pressure uh, defense schemes to try and get to him. He didn't look comfortable, and he didn't look like he was able to deal with that. And that's basically something which the Panthers are oh, like very well built to take advantage of. And we just saw here that when when, when you get pressure under on Carson Palmer, like he isn't he, he isn't quite like elite enough to make up for that with maybe the kind of quick. Throwing, uh, Fair enough. So, so in your, in your own in your own words, you'd say he's not legit. Uh, what about yourself, Harry? <laughs> it's just funny. Funny you mention that because for the first time in a broadcast, I heard a commentary team not even question it, just be like, "Cam Newton is an elite quarterback." That was interesting. But yeah, there's an uh, like I think the two it's not sort of feed into each other. I think one led to the other. I think we saw the. I don't think it was it was nerves initially, but once the pressure comes and once you get behind, that was where we saw just poor decisions being made. Attempts to force the ball and like that vertical attack that they've run, which hasn't worked, sorry, has worked rather during the season, wasn't working today. Very little of a plan B. And I think a lot of that is credit to Carolina's front seven for being able to execute that kind of not just pressure, but also coverage from the linebackers. Like Luke Keekley was ridiculous again today. Thomas Davis having a great game. 
before he broke his arm. Apparently, he wants to play in the Super Bowl. He's oh yeah, he's apparently, he's apparently said he's definitely going to play as well. He had insane. his sur- he had his surgery today, and the doctor said that he'll be fine. Yeah, that's insane. He's, he's a great, great player. But <laughs> if you tear we'll your Bro- yeah, that's true. He's, he's hard, but yeah, for Palmer, it's just a case. You know, you could see the decisions going, and I don't think you can put it all on him because yes, he had a poor game, but he didn't get much help. Like. Johnson was not great, although, again, probably like one of the more productive players on offense. The wide receivers couldn't get open. There were drops. There were just miscommunications going on all over the place, and the O-line didn't help out in that situation. Then, of course, the defense couldn't get off the field for large parts of the game. So it all just, I think, started collapsing. I think at that point, when you were the quarterback and the leader and all that jazz, you're going to try to overcompensate. You're going to try and take everything onto yourself. And it's something that I suppose people actually ironically accuse Cam Newton of doing in the past, mm. trying to win the entire game by himself. Palmer, I think, got into that situation and got into that headspace, and that's what resulted in so many mistakes and miscues yeah. and just digging a deeper hole. No, of course, of course. I suppose they did kind of respond to the, the, the accusations of... Uh, you know, they're a bit soft in the second half by putting up 25 points. My personal favourite was the going for two when they're up by like 30 points. <laughs> it's just cruel. Um, I'll tell you my personal favourite thing from that game was uh, when Luke Keekley returned the, the pick six. Did you see your man fall out of the stands? Oh yeah, yeah, the fan <laughs> fell out with the excitement. Um, Wilson's obviously, as was mentioned, Davis has broken his arm. He went on the sur- into surgery today. Obviously we're recording on Tuesday. It'll come out to you on a Thursday night, Friday, Friday morning. Uh, his arm is broken... His arm has now been surgered, surgerized, operated on. Operated on. <laughs> words are hard. I used all my words during the day at work. He's now decided that he's definitely going to play in the Super Bowl, and his doctor has said, "Yeah, he'll probably be grand to play." And the coach has now come out and said, "Yeah, he'll be there." This is weird. Like, I get that he probably doesn't care about his arm getting amputated because he's probably not got another season <laughs> left in him, like or something. But like, his leg is currently made up of matchsticks and duct tape. He might as well do the same with an arm. Like, why not? But uh, that was weird. Here's my question for you. We've seen that they're not soft in the second half. We've seen them nearly go undefeated. We've seen them beat, in this case, the best offense in the NFL this year. And what I think was probably the best team other than them left in the competition. Is this a team, if they win next week, that we're going to look back as being one of the best teams of the Super Bowl era? One of the most complete, top to bottom, one of the most explosive? I I think it will be in that conversation, but I don't think it will win out. I think one thing that they got to take advantage of, and there was actually an interesting article about this, where it was graphs and stuff, it was great. But anyway, basically, there was kind of a weird situation where the AFC East and the NFC South, like, there's there kind of a sense that the schedule was relatively kind to Carolina this season. I think that will be a mark against them. I think there's also, like, the Super Bowl would mean a lot, and I think, like, we'll talk about this a lot next week, but I don't think this will be a close game, so I don't think, it, like, I don't think it'll be a, as close a game as it could be, so that'll be also a black mark. I think it'll it'll definitely be in that conversation, but I think it will probably lose out to the that Pats team and the, the Dolphins team at least, and it'll be it'll be probably in the next tier of teams for that conversation. But like, what about those great also, Giants teams? Also, Fuck off! <laughs> it'll also be tied to how Cam Newton's career goes from there. If he ends up having a Hall of Fame career, then that season will end up being lifted with that boat, I think. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, anything you'd like to add there, Hay? Yeah, I think the last part is extremely true. And I think, you know, all these things are coloured in retrospect by what happens as a result of them. Because everything, you know, in in sports is part of a narrative, part of a sequence of events. You can't really look at things in isolation. and Well, or more accurately, things aren't looked at in isolation. I'm not sure. I mean, even with a relatively weak schedule, which is true, uh, they, they are were playing in a weak division and they did get to play the uh, AFC South. Like, they still beat good teams. Like, they beat Seattle twice. 
They beat uh, admittedly not fantastic Green Bay team, but they did beat them. Still a decent team. They hockeyed Washington, who were yeah. a tough team to beat this year. And then, of course, we just saw them lay an absolute smackdown on Arizona, who were considered to be probably the second best team in the NFL. You don't go, even with a weak schedule, you don't go 15 and 1 in the regular season unless you are very, very good. And if they carry that through to have an 18 and 1 se- I can't say 18 and 1 season, I just can't, I can't say it. Mm. <laughs> go through it's it. okay. They're going to they're gonna lose a much better one than you guys did. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to win a much better one. They're going <laughs> to win the Super Bowl, probably. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But if they do, if they go through and win the Super Bowl, like this will be, I think, remembered as, as an extremely good team. And I mean, you know, it's not that they won games, they won games in style, they won games well. Yes, there were problems in the second half that we saw, but look at how many players emerged from this season on both sides of the ball as being bona fide superstars, not just Newton. You saw a guy like Jonathan Stewart have a career year, Greg Olson having one of the best seasons of his career, a guy like Josh Norman emerging in the secondary, guys like Corton Finnegan somehow discovering how to vaguely play football again despite having been pretty consistently terrible for the last few years. Uh, the O-line has been uh, uh, fantastic, it, despite Mike, like Mike Lower is starting in the Super Bowl. Yeah, like, that's mad, um, and the talent on that line is is is, uh, is fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's going to be. We're not going to know for a few years how this team is viewed, but right now, like this is a fantastically talented team, and also a team that just plays fun football, plays football that you want to watch, even if you don't really care for the Panthers. Yeah. Like even if you're just a quote unquote fan of the game, this is a tremendously this entertaining. Is, this team. is this is this is what I like about it. Like they're a team that are like, well, they're enjoyable to watch, they're exciting to watch, and like, right? I know they're both your teams, but like you look at last year's Super Bowl, no one gave a fuck who won that outside of the teams who supported those teams. Like no ah. one cared. Oh, look who it is. It's the Seahawks and the Panthers or and the and the Patriots. Who cares? Yeah, right? A lot of people want both teams to at, lose. Least, at least yeah, at least in this scenario it's a place where like you're kinda of going well some people like the Broncos, I don't like the Broncos, but some people like that whole like oh it'll be a nice end to Peyton's career, he's one of the greats and like stuff. And then the other side you got fuck it, the Panthers. Like everyone likes the Panthers, Panthers are great fun. I've got to say one of the most sort of things I think sort of symbolizes just how cool this team is. You know, obviously Cam Newton's got to think of giving the balls to kids, which is great. After one of the touchdowns he scored, I think his first rushing touchdown last week, the balls sort of got lost in a scrum. And there was a bit of pushing and shoving after, and you thought it was the usual oh, touchdown, whatever, everyone's getting a bit antsy. It wasn't. Mike Tolbert was fighting guys off to get the ball back, to give it to Cam, to give it to a kid. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that was like, it's not like change, like revolutionary to how the game is played, but I think they're, they're, they're changing the attitude players are seen to have to have towards the game. No, like that's the I, I I quite like the team. Obviously, we're going to go into depth about the matchups that are going to happen uh, in next week's podcast when we do our Super Bowl podcast. Also, Pro Bowl feedback. <laughs> but hype, hype. <laughs> but uh, but yes, yeah, so it was an ex- ex- excellent performance there by the Panthers. Um, lackluster performance by the Cardinals, but very impressive. That's that's not a team that I'd be looking forward to face in the final in two weeks' time. Let's have a little gander at the other game that happened. The game that was much more close and much more, I suppose, competitive. New England at Denver, uh, eighteen to twenty. This was a hard-fought match, which either team could have won all the way up to the end, which is bizarre when you think about it. Eventually, the Denver defense came out on top. Tom Brady was hit a total of 20 times in this game with four sacks. Tom Brady finished this game with a 48% completion rate in his passes, which is not really something that happens with the Patriots. He had a non-existent running game. Apart from Tom Brady was their top rusher with 13 yards. Manning wasn't in great form either. He had two first-half touchdowns to Owen Daniels, and that seems to be just about enough for them to hold out. Just to show you how much like how much potential there was for this game to go around, the second-half possession for the Broncos went as following. Punt, 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 field goal, punt, punt, end of game. That was it. This was, like, like I said, Peyton Manning was only 53% completion. It wasn't a huge amount there. And uh, most important of all, punt watch. 
Punt watch. This is a big game for punting. Colquitt managed to net 423 yards of punting. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Uh, so I suppose we'll start off with Ronan on this one. Ronan, what did you make of this game? Yeah, like I think you, you called it quite well there. It's like uh, Tom Brady versus the Broncos defense. It's kind of like, because obviously like, well, we'll hear a lot about Peyton Manning next next week, obviously, uh, when, we're talk- when we're previewing the Super Bowl. But it was definitely a game where Peyton did something in the first quarter. Well, him and Owen Daniels did something in the first quarter and then basically just turtled. Not literally, most of the time. He did a few times literally as well, but mostly mostly turtled for, for the rest of it. Don't give turnovers, etc. Like, I think it, it was just a game that Tom Brady alone cannot, like, fix things, like, basically by himself. Like, it kind of reminds me of, like, a few years ago, back, basically back before they kind of had a more balanced offense last season, where, like, Tom Brady was being asked to carry the team by himself. And it was just when the Broncos' defense was so good and had him under pressure so much, he had to do it. And it's a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's very much a shame because, you know, it's not really fair if you have Steven Jackson as your like power back, it's like it's just kind of like no, bro. Him. They've got they've got Tom Brady as their scat back. <laughs> like he was using James White as like a primary receiving option nearly all, like for pretty much the whole second half, and that kind of just shows how desperate they were to try and get production. Like the fact that they even got back into this game for what was an amazing final drive with two fourth down conversions that should never have happened where Gronk just gronked all over it. <laughs> just like he'll be uh, gronking all over people in his party bus not out this summer. Yeah. Um, but like I think I think it's just a case where like a transcendental performance by a Broncos defense managed to shut down like the greatest quarterback of all time probably. Uh, but thrilling at the end. <laughs> Fuck me. Like that was still sad inside. Oh Matt like we didn't deserve to win that game but we should have won it. Like it was Bizarre, and you know the Denver defense were very, very good. I don't know if they were transcendentally good; like they were, they were very good. But they got an awful lot of help from one of the worst O line displays I have seen ever. Out this of is the a question I wanted to ask you: Was this a situation of being a coach scheme wise, which could be an element, and there could be an element to both, of it, or was it purely personnel issues? I know this is your like twenty ninth arrangement of O linemen <laughs> or something, but like O linemen's a bit generous. But like, like you know, you've got like. Your quarterback takes 20 hits. Is this a case of scheme-wise you're out-coached or just pure personnel issues of, like, you're just beat up on that line? I, I, I don't think you can extricate the two. Wade Phillips. For, for, for all our normal listeners, that means you can't separate them. <laughs> I, I like to think the people who listen to our podcast are intelligent and exist. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can have one or the other, right? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, you're, the two are really interconnected. Like, what good coaching is, it's identifying the matchups where you have an advantage, and it's playing those. And Marcus Cannon is going to be looking for a new job this uh, next season. That's a statement of fact. I really like you. Really want the guy to succeed because I know he came back from leukemia and everything a few years ago and all that jazz. But he got done. So Cannon was at the right tackle. He was playing against um, Von Miller all game long and just consistently getting beat and consistently getting burned. Volmer. Uh, who is running a left tackle, who's actually a natural right tackle, made a big difference last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. DeMarcus Ware was just too fast for him. Like, it wasn't even the case that he was necessarily getting overpowered. DeMarcus Ware may as well have been unblocked because he was just blazing past Volmer so often. And it's when you're able to exploit those matchups and make the co- make it work. That's what Wade Phillips did incredibly well. On the back end as well, they came out and they smothered New England's, uh, New England's receivers. 
uh, to a large extent, with the exception of Gronkowski, really, who's just, you know, he's Gronkowski. It's very difficult to do that. But even then, he spent large parts of the game banged up on the sideline getting oxygen, and I, I, I think he was hungover. I, I just genuinely think Gronkowski <laughs> was hungover. Like, he was like, getting massages and getting oxygen, and it looked like he was going to throw up. And it's, I did I did see that one, the, 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 the timer set against it was a Von Miller sack that looked like it was outside, but he wasn't, and it was... Like, it was like 1.3 seconds to get to Brady. Because yeah. he, he had that great line that he said to the media before. And they're like, like oh, the, 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 the big problem facing Tom Brady is obviously that he gets the ball. They can get the ball out in two seconds. And Vaughn's response is, I'll get to him in one. Yeah, well, he did. And that was the thing. Like, like, Denver identified where the weaknesses were for New England. And they exploited them. But then, of course, Denver's offense did what Denver's offense did and sputtered all the game long. And I think you have to actually credit the Patriots' defense to an extent. Uh, Logan Ryan made uh, Demarius Thomas irrelevant for most of the game. Malcolm Butler had... Uh, he took a while to get into the game, had a couple of nice plays, one including where he broke up... Um, I can't, was it Sanders or Thomas had the ball basically caught, and Butler, you see on the replay, knocked it out with one finger, which is incredible. Like, he just got his finger on the on the end of the ball and just leveraged it. Can you imagine being that guy's girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, but uh, Jamie Collins had a great game, except burnt. For both touchdowns, totally avoidable. And then let's. Uh, I think we're going to probably get into what happened at the end with the fourth. Yeah, well, this is this is this is this is the next question because obviously there was two fourth downs where there was turnovers on down in that fourth quarter. There was two scenarios in the fourth quarter where the Patriots were deep down into Broncos territory and they went for it on fourth down and had turnover on downs happen. Uh, I reckon the second one was the more egregious. I'm going to come to you first, Fitz, on this one. Uh, what did you make of the first one? I think it was fourth and one on like somewhere somewhere around the Broncos fifteen or sixteen yard line. Given that this is a game that, you know, would have been a one point game had they just kicked a point after and gone for two, a field goal at any of these points would have been the difference in this. Like, do you agree with the call they made there? Like, it's an incredibly tough one because I think considering how difficult they had found it to move up and down the field at that point, I think they had a sense that they needed to make it a game right there. Like I think there was like a lot of nervousness that this uh, Broncos defense could shut them down again and again. So going for that, like then and making it close, would have forced the Broncos to actually have to play offense again, and that would have provided. I think they probably thought that they would have an opportunity in that case to actually do something with them. Like I think in retrospect, it's easy to say they should have went for the field goal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it, it's one of those kind of decisions which. I can understand why it happened. I'm, I like personally, I think I would have went for the field goal. But we're always told you should go for fourth down. We're always told that statistically it makes sense. And considering the difficulties it had, I think I would probably see exactly where they're coming from. Well, Fitz, there's one thing on the on the statistically it makes sense. Statistically it makes sense when you're not in a scoring position. It always oh, makes sense yeah. to go for it from fourth down because the punt will gain uh, the punt will only gain you so many net yards. It's a dead zone it's kind of thing. Dead zone theory essentially. Um but yeah, you see I think Harry agrees with the call or sorry, disagrees. I disagree with the, with the, with the, the, the first call and I, I think the simple reason for that is clock. And I think at this point in the game there was enough to like it was, it was six minutes left. Yeah, six and a half minutes. So I think there was enough point at that point. Right, now you've got the pressure off and you're not going to be worried about a potentially two-point conversion situation. At the time, I didn't like the call. It brings it back within five at that point. Exactly. So I think it sort of releases the pressure a little bit. And I think you've got enough time that you can trust that that Denver offense isn't getting going this half. Worst case scenario is they, you know, they drive down and get a field goal or whatever. And even even the field position argument at that stage, I don't think is a great one because you know, oh, you're gonna if you kick a touchback, which has been happening all game long, because mile yeah. high, the Denver Broncos net four yards out of that. 
Yeah, they hadn't they hadn't actually done a huge amount at all anyway. Um, in terms of returns, for the I think they got two that they were allowed to return, and they weren't getting very much on the money. See, my 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 issue was more with the second one. I I think they made a terrible mistake on the second one. They also had a fourth and six down similar down in distance, uh, or sorry, similar similar area of the Broncos. Like, there was two and a half minutes left on the clock. They had all their timeouts, and they elected to go for it and turned it over at that point on downs. Uh, it was twelve to twenty. This would have brought it to within a five point game. The Broncos weren't moving the ball whatsoever on them. They weren't risking passing with Peyton because they knew that those balls were coming out wobbly. It was all run game. It was all simple. It was all trying to eat the clock. If you kick that, you get it. You get the clock stopped for the two minute warning. You've got all three timeouts. These guys have not been eating up any time on their drives up to this point anyway I don't get why you don't make that call in that scenario uh, I think again it's, it's, it is it is a question of, of the clock and how much they had left in the game basically there was I think a concern at that point that they would not get the ball back and I understand where you're coming from and I think it's you know I still don't know if I necessarily agree with the decision but I think it's less egregious than the first one because I think theoretically the difference between giving the Broncos the ball back with just over two minutes versus giving them the ball back with six minutes is that in one of those scenarios, it becomes much more likely that the team can just run the clock and stop the game. Ideally, again, yeah, you, you want to be in a situation where... I, I, think I don't think you should ever be relying on two-point conversion at the end of a game. It's something you do... And then, obviously, as, when it fails, you have to go to an onside kick. And I think that's always going to be a desperation move, you know? Mm. Uh, so I don't like what... I, just, I don't like what they did there, again, but mm. I think it's, it's more forgivable simply because of the situation you're in where you're more concerned that you won't get a ch- even a chance to put that touchdown up. Now, as it happens, they did, obviously. But the risk is that you kick that field goal and that's it. Could be, yeah. Like The thing is, given, given how they played up at that point, I, I think, especially at that stage in the game, they were well able to be slowing well, them down. The other critical the factor there is is that you that you the reason you want to take it there is because that gives you the chance to throw the touchdown. And then if you miss the two-point conversion, you get the ball back for a field goal. Which is much less pressure. Yeah, but it's still it's still the problem of eating clock, of you not getting any points full stop whatsoever because if you fail there and you turn the ball over, all of the issue of them getting the ball back and you not getting to see it again exists as well. Oh, it, it does. I'm just saying versus the <clears throat> field goal. Like what, it's basically what order do you want to score the points? And now, I think that was Belichick's logic. And now the big the big thing that we have to discuss as well is the fact that then the Patriots got the ball back again after this fail and went all the way down. Which means if they just kicked the field goal all three times, they were won by a point. Um, <laughs> Uh, I suppose we will next week be looking a little bit more at the idea of can this Denver team keep pace with a Panthers team because I think as we said a couple of times here this was a brilliant performance by the Denver defense but it was a worrying performance by the Denver offense I think especially when they're going to be coming up now fair dues the New England team defense did play quite well in this game but if you compare that to the performances we've been seeing out of the Panthers' defense, like this is a scenario where I'm not sure what this team can do schematically because they don't have the arm strength. They don't clearly have the trust to rely on four quarters of passing. So they need to get a run game established a little bit quicker. And they were failing to do that as well, especially because this was a scenario where they weren't scoring well. So they need to eat as much clock as possible. And even when the game plan is rely on the run game, focus on the run game, only try and get that to work, they couldn't get it working. I think up until up until towards the end where uh, Anderson ripped off a big run, I think they were averaging like around two yards a carry. Yeah, I think Anderson, Anderson, because it was yeah, it was a third down. He ran for thirty yards, and if I remember correctly, the thirty yards accounted for in the second half. They had approximately seventy six yards of offense, of which thirty of them was just this lucky run for thirty yards. It was not an impressive performance. If you could change something 
if you were if you were had a little time machine, uh, you could go back for two minutes to Bill Belichick, and he'd listen to you. This is a very strange scenario. Okay, bear with me. And you get to tell him one thing to change. What would you get to tell him to change? Can I, how far back can I go? You can go back to like they get a day to practice it on the pitch. It's not you're going back. Please sign these free agents. Fuck. Sign <laughs> <laughs> another running back, Bill. <laughs> oh, like it's difficult to know because so many of the, pro- the problems were personnel problems. Uh, I think the one thing that if you could change from a, a schematic perspective from something to prepare for would be very simply to get make sure the linebackers are more organised facing those tight end routes that they scored mm-hmm. the two touchdowns on both times Jamie Collins and uh, a couple of the linebackers Ninkovich's first time can't remember who was the second time seemed slow to figure out who was meant to, who's, who, who Owen Daniels assignment, sorry whose assignment was Owen Daniels yeah. and that I think because those two so, touchdowns were avoidable Bill show them show them game tape from the regular 16 game of uh, the Seattle Seahawks trying to defend <laughs> tight ends and then tell them not to do that <laughs> There is a bit of that, yeah. Roden, if you could go back, what do you think would be one thing that you could get them to change that would have a major impact in this game? Apart from, I'm not going to allow you to say, kick three field goals. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredibly hard. Like I think, as Harry said, like a lot of it's personnel. Like I think, there's a cert- to a certain extent, they, maybe they should have gone for maybe some more uh, power formations, maybe try to, li- try to establish the run some way, even if it requires putting on a few extra offensive linemen. And they kind of left their offensive linemen out on an, on an island for too long. They perhaps should have just been more conservative, gone to like more more of the kind of uh, six uh, six offensive linemen kind of sets and just see if they could establish something. Because the way that, um, that the pass rushers were getting to him, where, uh, where was getting to him, was just, yeah, unacceptable. Like, I think, yeah, they just needed to kind of try something else, which was a bit more, like, Basically, trying to move away from the thing that had worked against Kansas City, and admit that perhaps the Broncos had a slightly better front four. Yeah, this is this is something I find interesting because I'm looking at because I'm just thinking the comparison between how well they dealt with, and obviously there were some injuries and stuff to it, but how well they dealt with the the rush and the pressure from Kansas City versus this week makes me think that there was probably something more schematically going on that I wasn't expecting that I didn't identify because I wasn't looking as in depth at it or something like. As good as Kansas City's front seven are, I think the thing that I think that really showed for them is that Ware and Miller are fast, and they are faster than the guys Kansas City had. And that was the problem for New England a lot of the time was that their linemen were just getting basically run literally around. That that I think made a critical difference. Like fair enough, fair enough. Um, also, Denver did you know sort of rush more people more often than Kansas City. Kansas City played quite conservative. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But I suppose that does leave us with the result of that Super Bowl 50 is going to be played between the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Denver are listed as the home team this year. Uh, have elected to wear white, which means <laughs> Carolina are going to be wearing the black unis. The team who elect to wear white are currently 10-1 and in the Super Bowl, the teams in white. I don't want to say that this is one of those things that the media is going to... There's going to be a lot of uh, coded language in the media over the next few weeks... Yeah, uh, be, the be uniform might have uniform split might have emblematize what we're going to see. Uniform banter. <laughs> so, it's already started. Like the tweets about Cam Newton's character have already started from like oh, elderly God. white journalists. It's, oh, by the way, that, that that's a side note as well because we didn't actually talk about it beforehand. Uh, Fitz, I presume you saw that letter online from the Seahawks fan about the twelves flag to Cam Newton. <gasps> Yeah, oh yeah, I saw the the overreaction. <laughs> yeah. Like this, uh, this fan, like there, there's a there's a video online of Cam Newton 
basically steal like taking a 12 man flag i think it had been taken by one of his like a carolina flan so he could take it and just throw it up like yeah like this is whatever like that the seahawks fan wrote letters saying oh you know i got you're, you're disrespecting us we but you're disrespecting, we do charity we go to hospitals and we're the 12s and we're super special and <laughs> you know we're we're more than just a fan base we're a community blah 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 bullshit but, like, but it's, it's pretty funny uh, <laughs> but my, my uh, personal yeah. favorite was she was like while your while your quarterback is going to be going to play football next Sunday, ours is going to be going to a children's hospital to go hang these flags for like kids who are dying of cancer. <laughs> like, yeah, but if he won the fucking game, he'd be playing football. He wouldn't be cared about those kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, every fan base has them, but obviously the Seahawks are more newsworthy right now due to their uh, recent successes. Like if this had happened five years ago, I don't think anyone would have bothered. Are they just annoyed because they've just they've just realised that the Panthers have a bigger, better bandwagon? <laughs> well, you, you don't need to change the colours too much. So that's always an advantage. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. But yeah, so like I said, Denver versus Carolina Super Bowl Fifty. We'll be bringing you a bit more in depth about that uh, next week. But yeah, I suppose the next thing we're going to do is we're going to fire on and have a look at some of the questions from you, the listener. Okay, so we're going to have a quick look at three, well, two and a half questions, because one of these isn't really a question. The first question comes in from Michael. He says uh, he wants to, us to give our estimations per drive and for the full game uh, for the Super Bowl. How many Omahas are we going to hear? So per drive, how many Omaha, Omaha, and then for the whole game, presumably? Um, I suppose a lot of this depends on whether you think uh, Peyton Manning is going to last the full game against <laughs> this uh, Panthers defense. Uh I suppose, what about yourself, Fitz? What do you reckon? I don't think he'll have too many long drives, so we'll say two per drive. Two per drive. Okay, now, uh, I, I'm going to say, I think he normally says it more than twice every time. So, <laughs> For a snap, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what about yourself, Harry? Uh, I refuse to answer that question on the basis of the fact that the word Omaha is now my trigger. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, don't I, don't... Think, he, I think he'll have a lot of three and out, so if you average out... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be quite a few. Well, yeah, I don't. I'd, I'd like to think that he's going to do something more interesting and like have a have one that he picks for this game that he then just starts using like because he knows his career is over. He sells advertising space on his like <laughs> audible calls. BMW, BMW, buy now, buy now. Kind of thing. All, all his, all his yeah. pre-snap, all his pre-snap calls are just a nationwide song. Yeah. Go next, Falcon. Why banana? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good god, that'll be awful. Um, I'm gonna say the max we're gonna get in a drive is 16, and for the for the game, I'm gonna say we're gonna get a mm, hundred and twenty-eight Omaha's. Yeah, that'll do. That'll be my estimation. So you better not watch this if it's triggering for you, Harry. It's uh, it's gonna be very, very sorry, difficult. Sorry, but the cure for my trigger is watching K1 short layout Peyton Manning. So it's gonna be all right. Like <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Um, the next get, the next question is more of a yes/no question, I suppose. It says, does Carolina's success this season mean that winning's not all about the Benjamins? Now, hang on, you said there were two and a half questions. I'm making one and two half questions. Yes! <laughs> That's, I suppose, probably correct, but yeah, I, 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 in theory, these are questions. So, let's go with them. <laughs> they, they our, ne- our next question is why are the Panthers doing so well when Tony Romo's in? Oh, but yes. So, so is, does does it mean it's not about the money? I was actually going to look this up properly and see, um, like, 
how far below cap these teams are to see who's spent more. But then it's kind of like, we well, already know the Broncos are up to the limit on their cap. So uh, presumably the one that has slightly more room is the Panthers, given that they don't really have anyone of name recognition on most of their team. Although they're now going to be highly paid after this season. <laughs> uh, this season, they're probably relatively cheap. Yeah, uh, I may have misinterpreted this, the use of Benjamin in this question. Um, Isn't it dollar dollar? Yeah, boys? I thought this referred to Kelvin Benjamin. It does. That was the joke I oh, think they were trying to make. Right. But it's good you've explained it. Uh, yeah, no, Carolina have sort of taken a lot of unheralded players. Well, some unheralded players. And yeah, they've been performing guys who've either, like your Ted Ginn's, obviously. Mm. What a touchdown he scored on that rush, oh, by yeah. the way. Guys like Ted Ginn, who obviously sort of seen as being kind of washouts almost at that point, sort of rediscovering themselves, picking up. Uh, younger players who've broken out and things like that. Actually, yeah, but although the point is, like, you know, terrifying this team when it comes back, they're actually going to have a big physical guy for Cam Newton yeah. to throw And at, they're also going to have whoever they decide to draft as well for their new players. Like, the return of Kelvin Benjamin into this offense is going to be ridiculous. Now, obviously, I haven't looked at it, and we'll be looking at it more depth in the offseason about, like, who's going to be left over, who's going to be free agents, who's going to be running out of contract and stuff. But, like, this could be a terrifying team moving forward. Um, Fitz, I suppose you're the... These these are teams that kind of compete a lot more with you directly because your team's in the NFC. Like, what do you make of the idea of this team plus Benjamin coming back? Like, what 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 kind of impact would that make? Or do you think it's a scenario where they've schemed as well as they can with this people that they'll just change it backwards? They can't become that much more efficient. Well, yeah, like kind of regression of the mean has the tendency to strike, and like there's like there's still been games where they they haven't looked amazing. But I think D word dynasty is obviously going to be. Uh, hockeyed around if they win in a couple of weeks and even if they don't win I think it'll, it, there'll, there'll be some chat about that like I think Kelvin Benjamin showed last year that he and he improved as it went along that he's an elite player so assuming that he comes back from his injury like the same player then that's another basically feather in the cap and you'd have to imagine this Carolina team can step up and be a force in the NFL and in the NFC for like a few more years to come like I think with the exception of Josh Norman they're not really too worried in free agency this year so there's no reason that they can't put together another season as, um, as impressive as that that the schedule might be a bit more difficult so they may uh, knock up two or three losses instead of the only one no, uh, of course. this year and I suppose one other side note for, uh, for you guys who are planning far 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 in advance Kelvin Benjamin if you play in a fantasy league full of people who just go off pure statistics he's going to be a great little one for you to look at because he's going to have scored zero points last year <laughs> like who is this guy he doesn't even play for the Panthers he must be shit you're going to take him in the third <laughs> round again this year yeah yeah oh, fuck. we're going to have a fantasy so special in the off season oh of course we'll have to at some point it'll just be us going oh my god why did we pick these people last year hey. we're so bad at this game Latavius Murray in every single league it yeah. sort of worked <laughs> sort of worked it didn't work in that league where you accidentally drafted all of the Oakland Raiders though. that was more than one league <laughs> <laughs> oh god and uh, a final question this one comes in from Sean down in Cork he asks us how much of an impact do we think think the difference in big game experience is going to make in this Super Bowl. So obviously you say, the Broncos have a lot of experience at this level. They've got Manning, they've got a lot of senior players they've brought in. The Panthers are a much younger team, much less experienced team. They've only had one Super Bowl previously, um, as a franchise. Um, what do you reckon yourself, Harry? Like, How much of a factor do you think that's going to be in this game? 
I think it's going to be about as much as a factor as it was two years ago when the Broncos played the Seattle Seahawks. I none whatsoever. Carolina have shown themselves to be a team who don't crumble in the big spots. They've got the right attitude. They've got the right approach. And I think that kind of sort of fun way they've been going about things, the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff is going to is going to bear them well in that game in the same way that Seattle's bloody mindedness did two years ago. That they've got the kind of attitude where they don't let the occasions get to them and they let them motivate them in a way and just go out and play their best. So I honestly, I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference. I think if anything... Denver are going to be under a bit more pressure because you're looking at this as Peyton's last chance at a ring. This is a team that can't keep itself together for cap reasons next season to a large extent. So a lot of these guys aren't going to be on the team. The well, pressure is well, on them because fine. Carolina are the guys who are definitely going to get another shot at this. Mm. But the thing is, they can definitely keep themselves together because they're going to lose both their quarterbacks this offseason. <laughs> so that'll be apparently a cap room to pay for everyone else. Like Even Bro- Brock Osweiler's had a contract this offseason as well. Oh so the Brock Lobster's even gone. So I uh, wonder where they're going with that. But yourself, Fitz, I suppose you've got an opinion on this. It's going to sway one way and one way only. What with you being the young, plucky upstart Seahawks a while ago. Now you're experienced. Do you think that that's the most important thing now, right? No, not really. Like, I think uh, when Peyton's PTSD kicks in <laughs> and he just, like, fetal positions for the entire game, that, that experience won't really... Is that PTSD from yeah, the like, Boer War? Because he's old! Yeah. Post-traumatic <laughs> sack disorder. From that Seahawks game, from that Seahawks Super Bowl, when the snap, the first snap goes over his shoulder again and he has his super... I was going to say, like, do we reckon we might be able to get our hands on another, like, safety opening? <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to see the Manning face, man. Can't wait to you see know, the Manning face. The experience factor has some influence there, but I think like when it comes down to talent, more more often talent tells, especially when a lot of this experience is in Peyton, who is obviously uh, the experience to talent ratio is starting to, uh, has been in the wrong direction for about a year or two at this point. So yeah, like I think experience will obviously be helpful, and if it becomes very tight near the end of the game, then it will become into much more importance then. But like I think, like we'll probably talk about this later, like next week. But I don't think we're expecting that to be uh, particularly likely to happen. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, I'd agree with a lot of that. I do think I do think the experience plays to one strength that the Broncos will have, and we will obviously discuss this more punting? next week. But uh, yeah, go oh God, <laughs> such punting. Basically, they've got a they've got a very good defense. It's a defense that's very good at adapting to scenarios that are put in front of them. We've seen them play schematically different against different teams to get better results and I do like the idea of them being able to even if the Panthers come out strong be able to kind of mould themselves a bit more to respond to that like if there is a defence that can go toe to toe with this with this Panthers team it is probably this Denver defence now I don't have the world's biggest amount of faith in but it's that thing that if there is a team that can that can face them and maybe get the better of them. I think this is the defense that could do that in the NFL at the moment, and that's based on experience and being able to to, to, to move themselves around a little bit. Uh, we've got we've got a final question as well that uh, came in from me actually, uh, <laughs> because it's one it's one I spent a long amount of time. You see, we've waited till late enough in the podcast where no one who works with me will be here anymore. So I spent a good time thinking about this earlier. It popped up on some site a while back, and it was an interesting idea. It was that two years ago the Broncos were in the Super Bowl. And they were touted as this superstar offense that didn't have much of a defense, but they were all everything went through Peyton, and it was very important. And that was that was their thing. Obviously, it didn't go their way. Two years later, they're back in the Super Bowl, and they're in the Super Bowl with a top end defense, and everything runs through them. And that's what their identity is now. They're essentially hiding Peyton Manning. Have we ever seen a turnaround in a team's identity? 
so quickly and so successfully that in two years they've gone from offense with no defense at the Super Bowl to defense with very little offense at the Super Bowl. I, you know, I don't know if that's actually a fair characterization. Like, I get where you're coming from. I think it's like in terms of a turnaround, it's been remarkable. I can't off the top of my head think of anyone who's uh, transformed so quickly and so successfully. To be fair, Denver did not have yeah, and that game made it look like they did, but they didn't have a bad defense that season. Denver for a very long time had a quite a good defense. In in fairness, like obviously not at the level it's at right now. As much as Manning ran the team, the defense certainly was an important factor, and that was sort of holdover from the sort of Josh McDaniels Tebow days, where they again were reliant on defense to get them mm. to the playoffs, and you know. Uh, Steelers linebackers not knowing how to cover. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, but you know, no, no, get get to the playoffs, not through the playoffs. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it is. It is actually remarkable, and I think it's, uh, oh, it's a testament to John Elway that <laughs> the, the team has been able to do that, and they've turned it around, and they've got a, you know, they've got a, they've made coaching changes that have worked, they've made personnel changes that have worked, and they have, you know, their cap management. Yeah, they're right up against it, but they use that brilliantly yeah. to build what is going to be pretty much a once in a lifetime, like name wise defense. Yeah, no, it's it's quite it's quite impressive. What about yourself? It's anything you'd like to stick in there? Anyone you can think of? Well, I'm surprised Harry didn't claim that the you know Tom Brady era effectively from this uh, from the very start a... to the to, to then. Yeah, I can I can see where you're going. Yeah, yeah, over two years. Yeah. Like I mean. That Tom Brady went from a game manager, like it's obviously the opposite way around, but that Tom Brady went from a game manager with a good defense to being the person who dragged the team uh, to another Super Bowl. Kicking and screaming. Too- <laughs> yeah, far too often. Yeah, yeah, so like, it is unusual to have it happen the other way around. Like I suppose the, the, the like one of the other uh, like canonical examples would be the Denver Broncos themselves with John Elway at the end of his career, where yeah. he went from the heartbeat of the team to obviously be... Dra- finally dragged actually winning a Super Bowl by like a more complete team put around him, uh, and it's it, it's kind of it's appropriate for Peyton Manning because he has the same kind of situation where he has been such a he's been so dominant and controlled so much of the identity of the teams that he's been on to have an end like this is unusual. But if it's the way that he manages to get his get a second Super Bowl, then it'll be pretty interesting and will kind of be interesting for his uh, his legacy, I suppose, and how he'll be seen going forward because he's been a good quarterback and he's. He's been pretty humble this season uh, with dealing with all the stuff that's happened. Yeah, no, no, yes, he has been quite good. Yeah, that was just one that was that was knocking around the head. I also saw a weird stat. I don't actually have it written down. It was that Denver are the first team to reach the Super Bowl with more interceptions and touchdowns thrown during the season since, since I think it was the 1985 Patriots. They were the only other team to have reached a Super Bowl while throwing more interceptions and touchdowns. Yeah, I just got to say on that, like, this is, and this is going to sound weird, this is one of the weakest Super Bowl teams I can remember, possibly since the Rex Grossman-led Bears. Yeah. Like, the thing is, they do they do have an excellent... Oh, do, or no, 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 no the, 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 the Baltimore Ravens in... Like, the Baltimore Ravens had, firstly, a criminally good defense that year, and also... <laughs> criminally good. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. So since 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 then, there hasn't been one that week, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, geez, they're both both terrible. It, it's an interesting one to see. Like, I, it is a great defense. It'll be an interesting one to see if this can hold true. The defense wins uh, wins championship. Well, one championship, championship. Yeah, uh, might not win a Super Bowl. But yeah, so we're gonna cut it short now because we're gonna do uh, our our focus in on the Super Bowl game next week. We're gonna spend a lot of time on the matchups and where we think it's going to be and lots of chat about that so we're also going to have because uh, Fitz is our Pro Bowl hype man we're going to have a chat 
Pro Bowl hype. Uh, so we can have a chat about Pro Bowl, where people went right, went wrong. One of the ways that they went wrong, obviously, is that they're like Richie <laughs> Incognito to be in the fucking Pro Bowl. Uh, I think the main way they went wrong is by attending the Pro Bowl in the first place. Hey, look, free car, free holiday, fuck it, why not? Like, bit of fun. Uh, you get a really ugly jersey. By the way, are the jerseys as ugly this year as they were last year? Probably. Somebody in Nike's uh, design department is yeah, colorblind, yeah. I think. They had one of those, like, last year was all grey and then it was, like, neon strips or something, yeah, wasn't it? orange and yellow, yeah. Oh, it's brutal looking. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully they're up there. And then um, we'll also, obviously, do some listener questions. And we're also going to have a look at our awards for uh, the season that's just gone by. So we're going to pick out some award categories, give out some awards. If you've got any suggestions for one, send them in. If they're funny, we might keep them. If they're shit, we won't. Uh, so it'll be fine. So as always, you can get us on Facebook at AFQ Podcast. You can get us on Twitter at AFQ Podcast. You can get us wherever you want. Uh, it's all good. Um, we might respond. We might not. It depends. Yeah, so I suppose any other anything else from yourselves, boys? Any crack? Any plans? No, I think this is a, I think this is a week off before the Super Bowl. To be honest, the yeah, can I get the get the legs under us before the yeah, session? I've got that stag as well and everything. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So, so so poor Harry's going to a stag <laughs> the night before the Super Bowl. So we're just going to back a stag into the Super Bowl. So it's going to be a, a messy one, I think, for all of all. I think Fitz, you're coming up, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good fun. And uh, we might also have uh, a few others you said that might come up for it as well, so that'll be fun. But yes, that'll be good. So I suppose uh, for this week, that's bye from me, bye from Harry, goodbye, and bye from Fitz. We'll chat to you next week. See you then.